A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. UBP, 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 which is another way of saying I'm Scott Tiver, you're Jules Gill, and that's Josh Brown. UB3. The UB3, you might say, a special episode recorded on a day after we've done a whole bunch of filming in fancy Ooh. costumes and stuff, but Ooh. you'll be seeing what that is in the future because we're in person. Why not do a UB3 to mark the occasion? Yes. And we put a, a question tweet out, and people sent in all sorts of different things. So a massive thank you to people. Um, I wanted to start the show off um, by saying a massive congratulations to Ambulam, mm-hmm. who will be getting married tomorrow, slash very, very soon. Amazing. Amazing. I and hope I... that we get thanked in the wedding speech. Uh, also, <laughs> where's our invite? And also hope that some of your guests bought you a UBP mug yeah. to celebrate this. Listen, you guys can speak for yourself. I'm best man. I got the invite <laughs> the other week. So you're best be man out in any room you walk into, mate. <laughs> Thank you. I would I say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man's default best man. Speaking of best things, we do have mugs on sale. However, I don't remember the big long URL. Someone made us one though. No, somebody made us a tiny URL, yes. which was just something like uh, ubpmugs.com. But Let's don't go, go there. That. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because it might be something completely different. <laughs> um, it, uh, so what it, it is is that you go to Teespring on the What Culture merch thing, and in the wrestling section, for some reason, our mugs are there. <laughs> I wish that I could remember the URL but it is so I think it's what culture dash wrestling forward slash creator dash yeah, spring. I yeah, think that's what it is. Yeah. That rolls um, off the tongue. It does. That's what we always said. I wanted to get on a t-shirt. I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so catchy, but make a clothing brand out of it. Can confirm that we have sold a nice little healthy amount of mugs, which yeah, is a massive thank you genuinely to everybody who's bought them. Um, absolutely love that that's happening. Anyway, did the huge shout out to Amblam and just massive congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Getting married is awesome. Recommend it. Um, they also submitted a question um, saying, with the new Pokemon coming out next month, I find that I'm not even remotely excited, but I feel obligated to get it for nostalgia. Is the high for Pokemon Dead, and have you ever bought a game because you feel loyal to the series? I am going to jump in, Lance, because um, in. Uh, recently in our little gaming pictures that we have to talk about uh, what new ideas we're going to turn into lists and other videos, <laughs> there was, uh, I brought up uh, video game franchises that need to change, and it was based off of the new trailer for Pokemon, is it Scarlet Violet? I don't know which one we're on now. Yeah, uh, maybe Sapphire? It's no, I don't like know, that. we've done Sapphire, surely we've done Sapphire, whatever Probably. it is. Whatever it, is it is so unmemorable, we can't remember <laughs> the name, but every single person that was in the comments were saying, oh, good to see the GameCube is still kicking out their titles. Good to see this, like, um, gameplay has moved on since Let Me Check My Watch 2000. Like, it's really, really basic and generic, uh, this new-looking game that's coming mm. out. And I, for one, genuinely think that we are about to see potentially the death of the 
Pokemon video game. I think we're going to actually get critical, like, look, this thing. I'm going to get it. I, I know you're shaking your head on it, and I know that IGN <laughs> out there is going to give it an 8 out of 10 no matter what, <laughs> but I genuinely think that mo most of the people are going to go, actually, this has been the same thing for over a decade now. Where's the, thing the new is, stuff? The, the weird thing is, this is the year that they changed it. Pokemon Arceus is a compl it's not a complete uprooting of everything, but they changed it for the first time since 1996. But they're putting it into, uh, into such a traditional formula. All they've done is add an open world-esque element or like 3D elements to it. There doesn't seem to be any sort of real progression to what Pokemon is at its mm. core. And for some reason, uh, for some people, that's absolutely fine. But for me, I want to see the innovation. I want to see them actually try and take it forward. Mm -hmm. And they've actually got competition now in the form of uh, Pal World. They've got a Pokemon capturing game with not guns. Not the gun, not That's, the gun that game. That is advancing no. the, the formula. We're taking things further. <laughs> the innovation One the Pokemon needs <laughs> is not a machine gun. I don't think that's the way the Pokemon needs <laughs> okay, to go. But tell me that Pokemon is worse with a machine gun. <sighs> I mean, it worked for Shadow the Hedgehog. Listen, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes. And do you know what? Go I'm on. not a Pokemonsman. Uh, <laughs> but if the Pokemon wielded guns, yes, maybe yeah. I'm in because Shadow the Hedgehog is the best Sonic related thing that's ever happened <laughs> and maybe the most iconic character of all time. I don't Even know. Jules wouldn't agree with you on that and he's not as big of a Sonicsman as me. <laughs> But I'm just laughing. One of the most iconic characters of all time. <laughs> Hell that's, yeah! That's Shadow. Me, that's popped me big. That is, boys. Yes, um, but yeah. In terms of Pokemon stuff, um, I don't think it's dead. But I think the biggest reaction is because they've done two games in the same year. I think yeah. a lot of people are annoyed about that. Yeah. It feels like what Ubisoft did with Assassin's Creed Unity and mm -hmm. Rogue in the same year. Um, and I feel like that's the the general response is like, oh my god, you guys do this every year, which they have done for so long. Um, but now it's twice in the same year, and everyone's mm -hmm. kind of gone, all right then, you mm -hmm. calm down, guys. Um, but I do. I love arcades. I've got like over 100 hours in it. I love that game. I think it's great. I hope that they build on those new mechanics and everything else. Um, I don't think it'll take, I think it'll take a lot more than this to kill Pokemon because it's but, effing Pokemon. But what killed Guitar Hero? It was oversaturation yeah, saturation. of its own market and they didn't innovate enough. Mm. And that is what Pokemon is teetering towards because like you say, releasing two games so close to each other and the second game of the two seems so less innovative, so less interesting, so low effort compared mm. to the previous one. People are just going, what's the point of this? I think it's like a warning sign. I think that, yeah, it's that whole thing of um, really testing the fan base. And mm. it's that, it's like a warning sign of like, you can't do this too many times in too quick a succession. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, like I said, Pokemon feels like, I mean, it's, Pikachu is like the third most recognizable character in the world or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it's the death of the Pokemon video game mm. uh, as, a, as a cultural milestone rather than it being probably the actual death of the franchise. I would love them to take a minute and just, yeah, just take just any dev time and make it so that the world doesn't look like it's a, a giant bin bag. That yeah, would be quite nice. I mean, seriously, uh, the, the visuals are so crispy that Josh Brown's trying to fish around for, in them for crumbs. He loves his crispy, though. <laughs> I'm going to tip them upside down and just guzzle all of the crumbs out of it. Point being, um, well, that's not even point being, but you know, we should talk about the second half of this oh question, yeah, sure. which is the idea of buying into a game just because you feel loyal to the series. Um, I'm all in on Sonic Frontiers because I love Sonic. That's, that's maybe mine. It was Mass Effect Andromeda for me. That was uh, the game that, you know, I loved... I loved even Mass Effect 3. Like, that game obviously ended. Even? Even. <laughs> that game obviously had a disappointing ending that yeah. we won't go yeah, over yeah, now, yeah, but yeah. I still enjoyed the bulk of that experience. However, when Andromeda came around, everything was screaming, this is going to be disappointing. Yes. From the weird initial trailers to the dev diaries to the kind of just half-baked idea to be in with to even yeah. continue the yeah. franchise at all mm -hmm. and of course where EA and Bioware were at the time however I bought into that and yeah. I I honestly at the time thought it was the worst game ever made <laughs> I, I couldn't click with it at all and it only got uh, okay 
after about yeah, 10 yeah, hours yeah, of yeah. play. But before then, man, I was so disappointed. Yeah. I remember like really liking the combat a lot. And then like the whole, I was like get, trying to get on board with new Bioware at the time, like a big open space. Look at all these missions I can do, like how open plan this is and trying to like design a new world and everything. But it, it never came together. It was, it was like at best like a five or a six out of 10 or something. Like the biggest disappointment with that game is the fact that you're going to a brand new galaxy. You have limitless possibilities for creativity and imagination. And what do you get? An ice planet. They, a they, planet yeah. that is yeah. warm. Floating rocks. There's a yeah. few floating rocks yeah. at the beginning. Um, Jules, you ever been loyal to an IP? Well, this is where my huge uh, hypocrite alert uh, comes out because I've just said that people <laughs> buy Pokemon over and over again and don't expect <laughs> innovation. But what do I pick up every single time anyone comes out? Dynasty Warriors, baby! <laughs> yes. uh, the, they have been getting progressively worse uh, for the last two games. Dynasty Warriors 9 and Empires were absolute dog. So <laughs> I am still going to buy the next one. Because you got to know, you got to know. I used to like uh, Dynasty Warriors back in the day, mm. but I was never like a huge fan. What about it keeps you coming back? I think it's the. Um, it sounds like I'm being detrimental to it, but it's the mindless repetition of I am overpowered and I'm killing everything with ease. That power fantasy is so easy to tap into. Plus the characters are so over the top that you can't help but be amazed that the way they act as well is just like, I'm about to fall into a trap. Oh no, but I'm still <laughs> going to go into the trap anyway. Oh, it's, it's so silly. It's ridiculous, but mm -hmm. it's... um. I, I think that uh, Koi Tecmo are the only company uh, that just go, yeah, it's the same game. We're not even trying to hide it. It's <laughs> literally the romance of the ki three kingdoms again. <laughs> you bought it last time, maybe you'll buy it again. With three new characters, bringing the <laughs> roster up to like 90 or some of that. And you're like, hope you're going to have fun maxing out all of them. <laughs> oh, amazing. I feel like, my, yeah, mine's definitely Sonic. I'm not going to go on about it again because I feel like I do it every mm -hmm. single podcast. Mm -hmm. But I'm at this stage, I'm just too curious. I'm too in. I'm too into the IP and I need to know what that game is yep. um, so we'll see next question from Schmanz Schmilliamson who Love says him. with Halloween soon what is your best costume that you ever that you've remembered that you've ever been able to wear is the end of my made up sentence for that okay. what's your best Halloween costume ever as a kid I was a zombie which was very good also I was Goku and also my mum made me a homemade Shawn Michaels costume as a five year old <laughs> it was complete with the WWF belt Shawn shirt and pants she put broken hearts on it was the best amazing that's really <laughs> cute that's really really fun I, uh, I always hate getting dressed up never a fan at really? all I dressed up as Solid Snake when Metal Gear Solid 1 came out yep. and um, a little cardboard gun. It's so funny after we have done literally eight hours of filming in costume today. Yeah. I've like done. I've spent up. more time in costume today than ever. <laughs> That's, I've, I, hate, I hate getting dressed up. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's. I see. I love it. I love right. the, the fact you can just escape into just being something completely different for a bit. Um, my best Halloween costume that I remember the most was the, um, the film The Warriors. I dressed up as a baseball <laughs> fury. Um, so I had like the... Uh, not clown makeup, but it was like sports face paint style thing. It was yellow and black, and I had the baseball bat and the um, baseball outfit on and a big wig and stuff. It was I had cool. such a good time because you would walk down the high street and 90% of the people would not know, uh, would have a clue what it was. They'd be like, oh, uh, a clown? Yeah, okay, <laughs> or a sports guy. But then there was like one person that was like, the Warriors! And then yes. my mate, the, like clinking of the bottle noise is like, come out to play! Yeah. And I was like, yeah! That's cool. For me, I, um, I used to have a standard one and it was incredibly low effort because all you need is a pair of black trousers, a bloodied white working shirt, was, and okay, yeah. a Shaun of the Dead badge. So I oh. went Oh, Sean yeah, from Sean brilliant. of the Dead. Yeah. And when you're like a, a you know a broke student, you could bust that out every yeah. single year. I think I might have even worn it two years in a row without washing it. And oh. it stunk. Oh. It wasn't good. However, 
A few years ago, I did actually put a bit more effort into it and went as the log lady from Twin Peaks. Oh, I remember Very you nice. doing that. Yeah, yeah. Which I was really proud of. You know, I was looking forward to that. No one got it, even though I was carrying around <laughs> a plushie of a log all night, which wasn't good when you got to the clubs, by nah, the way. Nah. That thing got dirty. It was on the toilet floors. It wasn't Oof. great. That's why Oof. I never like dressing up, because you've always got to go to the club, and then you just it's just never maneuverable around yeah. the club. Yeah. Right. Ugh, sorry on. to make it all about me, but I've just got, like, so many <laughs> awful club stories. One year, um, I decided to go as Patrick Bateman, but the... Fantastic. issue with Patrick Bateman is he wears like four layers so I had yeah. a full suit on with the raincoat, oh, the raincoat. over yeah, the, the top oh the top. god in a club in a sweaty club in that club. thing was a oh, man I was not uh, <laughs> looking my best that th- night those, wa- those waterproofs they keep water out and keep water in okay <laughs> those sweat you were just having like a little humid tent over there horrible horrible when the bouncers rung me out they literally oh, rung me out they had to like you know squeeze all the water out of me I will shout out a general yeah I remember doing cause I was trying to think of any times I've dressed up student times yeah because you kind of have to it's like everyone's going out for this thing so I was like I knew that my now wife was going to be out on this one night so I was like look I'll do the absolute bare minimum so it was just buy a shirt from Primark and cut some holes in it and then scatter the blood over it and just do an Alan Parry I'm a zombie like that was just all I could muster Um, still on a spike that's that's impressive right because every every year for about 10 years I've always said this is the year I'm going to do the Alan Partridge zombie but the man, like, if you go out as the Alan Patrick zombie, you are looking weird. You were scaring yeah. people off for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. We, yeah. The three people in this room would get that reference, and then that might be about it yeah. in the modern day. Yeah, I don't yeah, even yeah. know if people know the Alan Partridge zombie. But, but imagine the pop on the night out. Nobody true. gets it. And then you lock eyes with someone from across the dance yeah. floor. You, uh, and, uh, 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 you find another person dressed exactly the same. Do, <laughs> a, do a duet. Next question from Adam Tuku who says, Big up the UB3. With all these remake, remakes coming out, let's be real for unnecessary games. Games, which absolute classic would you love to see remade for the new consoles? Now, I know we've done this conversation quite a lot, but I just thought I would do a quick whip round. Mm, He's also saying that Dead Space is unnecessary. That well, hurts un- me, though. Unnecessary is a bit of a stretch. Mm. I mean, like, I get that they're just trying it to hold on to the licensing rights and because Callisto like Protocol has come out, but there's <laughs> nothing wrong with um, uh, a Dead Space remake, per se. I'm mm-hmm. hoping that mm-hmm. the microtransactions won't be a no. significant thing. <laughs> Dead Space is really old now. I say really old. It's like 15 years. 14, 15 years. Uh, yeah. To me, that is really old. <laughs> <laughs> it's a teenager. Would you say that it's a 10-year mark you're allowed to remaster it? Um, like a decade. A decade is a long time. See, mm. I would say so, but then they remade The Last of Us after nine, which is just about on the cusp, and Stinky I would say up. that felt too mm, soon. You're right. I, I reckon mm. as, as soon as you start heading as well. towards 15, that's when you get uh, full yeah. leeway from myself because that's potentially two full console generations rather than just one. Yeah. Mine's always just like, what does it feel like could actually be improved? Like in Dead Space, it's like, well, you can make the interiors a bit more dank and drippy, but I feel like Dead Space is pretty solid anyway. So like that'll be a nice thing to go back through. But I feel like the, I've mentioned Soul Reaver every time. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but Soul Reaver's mine because mm-hmm. you can do so much more with those environments. Um, and the script is already like God tier. Yeah. So just like back that up. Have the visuals meet the same bar as the script um, and the thematics and the world and everything else. And you've got a stellar game. I think you would have to choose something from the PS1 or PS2 mm. era to really like give it a remaster because if you go even further back than that, then it's... With the Schneiders, you have graphics that are brilliant for what they were. Like, it's a completely different medium going from 2D to 3D. Mm -hmm. So a remaster or remake. I might as well just go for the big one and say, I want a full 
proper HD for the Switch remake of Majora's Mask. Like, 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 build it from the ground up again. Oh, so they did that it. for the DS one? They did, But it's, yes. like, stuck on 3DS. Yeah, so, like, do it again, but for the Switch. Yeah, I would take that for Ocarina as well. I was thinking maybe you... Tr- <laughs> they would never do it, and again, they tried it on the 3DS, but, like, Mario 64... Like with a proper yeah, 360 act- camera, you'd right. make it so it's way more modern at Mario Odyssey physics. Like, you, you could do what? something People with that. People really hated that one that came up for the DS because it had loads yeah. of extra characters and it changed, changed like, the, the way that the game everything. like changed. And I was like, but that's so cool. That's a really cool <laughs> idea. <laughs> I remember Benjamin Richardson um, just absolutely hating it. I think he was more like, the original is the best. Okay. And how dare you okay. touch this, Nintendo? I want to see, um, and this is going to sound stupid because they have done it, but I want to see Resident Evil 2 remade but not in the way that they did it that is a great game but i want them to do it in the style of the resident evil one remake Mm. where you keep the gameplay almost identical keep the isometric view keep the classic layout keep the classic uh mechanics but just make it look like a modern game because the gamecube version of resident evil remake still looks incredible to this day oh dude insanely good and it makes you wonder are we going to approach that level of remakes and remasters because they go uh remakes and they do it in a cinematic style for Mm. the modern audience but do you think that we're then going to go in even further than that and like you say they're going to go back to old titles and remake them in a classic fashion rather than a new interpretation I guess it depends what the, the market dictates I feel like isometric horror hasn't been done in so long I, otherwise I love the medium so much yeah. but that's like one game in 10 years that sort of like had isometric camera angles and even then yeah. it wasn't all the time Yeah. Um, but I just yeah I miss isometric horror I forget what this this came up recently on a podcast and I was like I miss tank controls and isometric horror and really cool atmospheric camera angles and things that made you just like struggle to survive against something. I'll tell you what as well. I know Silent Hill 2 is going to be getting re- It'll be announced by the time this goes up. Yeah, Yeah, a remake. Uh, However, you know, we were talking off uh, mic earlier on about like Silent Hill 1 and I love Silent Hill 1 Mm. but that thing is trapped to the PlayStation 1 and it is kind of rudimentary. It's very much a first go at this franchise Mm -hmm. but it has so many cool ideas, has so many cool uh, characters and locations that I would love to see again in the classic style not transferred to the Resident Evil over-the-shoulder camera. Mm -hmm like a classic Silent Hill 1 remake done on modern machines. I think, yeah, just to round this off, I think it's just, I think that era, anything that's sort of mid-90s, the discovery of 3D and that massive push to be like, what can we do now that we're in this other dimension? And Final Fantasy VII, Metal Gear Solid, Silent Hill, Resident Evil, whatever. Like, it's it's anything from that era I would take, but I also want just a way to play them. Like, I just want to be able to access Metal Gear Solid whenever I want, um, but, you know, with up graphics or whatever, but keep the soul of it intact. You're right. You're making a good point. We Bosh. need to remake... Crash Bandicoot the Wrath of Cortex right now. Because <laughs> oh, no. that is not easily accessible. No. Slash deleted forever from Definitely all not. the servers. It's the real crash fault. I, I can't. Next question yeah. from D, who says, love the podcast. After demo discs have come up quite a few times lately, I'm wondering which game you only had on demo disc that you played over and over and over but never bought as a kid. Oh, okay. Mine was Metal Gear Solid because of the mature rating. Oh, okay, fair enough. Mine mm. was uh, The Unholy Wharf. Um, I was uh, going to say Unholy Wharf. it was actually. Oh, my God, I love that game. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to uh, Peter Austin for actually having a copy of that and actually letting us play it. Blew because, my mind that it was real. Uh, yeah, I, I swear <laughs> yeah. it was a fever dream. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it, that some games that were on the demo discs never actually came out to full releases. Because I remember yeah. there was like, there was a game in which um, you were defending the Earth from these alien invaders. It was kind of an RTS-style thing. But I think you're thinking a, of Body Harvest. I don't know what it was, man, Maybe. but I remember it had a banging soundtrack. And it was like, <laughs> the Earth is doomed. <laughs> 
I'm a big fan. The earth is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I would shout out uh, Speed Freaks. I never bought the full Speed Freaks. Oh, My I friend had, Speed had Freaks. it. I had Speed Freaks. I was a Crash Team Racing guy, so I was just like, I don't need Speed Freaks. I've got Crash Team Racing. But I had the demo for Speed Freaks. I'd also shout out Vib Ribbon. Never managed to secure a copy of that, but played the demo over and over because I'm sure even in the demo you could put other songs on. You could. And play yes. through that way. So I was just like, this is the game. Yeah, so I just exactly. kind of did that. Nice. Um, also, shout out to Vib Ribbon. Remastered that. Put that out. Yeah, because Tie it in with my Spotify. Yeah, that would be amazing. Oh. If, if Spotify bought it as a game that was included in their player, they yeah. would have like a, a brilliant little thing. There. Easy. It's pretty good. I don't know which installment it was, uh, but it was one of these Zone of the Enders games. Probably oh. two. Uh, yeah, I never, never two. actually bought the thing outright, but I played that first level or whatever you get over and over and over right. again and then decided I didn't like mechs, so then just didn't <laughs> buy the game. Uh, but it was a cool demo and I enjoyed it and I know people love that. Out of the original. Yeah, I never played Second Runner, but... I mean, Zone of the Enders sold because they put the Metal Gear 2 demo yeah, with yeah, it. But yeah. at the same time, I still really like Zone of the Enders 1 as my throat failed me. Do you remember when they put out the demo disc for uh, for Time Splitters 2 and it ended at a certain point in the level? It was like the damn level, the Siberia one. Mm-hmm. And I remember it ending there and being like, oh my God, this is the best. And I played it with my friend Liam over and over and over again as we waited for the actual release of Time Splitters 2 to come out. And when it came out, that level didn't end there. It actually went further on. You fought a helicopter <laughs> on the dam. I was like, oh, what, what, what is that this? whole time space to that damn mind. level that was our golden eye. I know so we had golden eye as well, but it it, like, that, it, that's it. We did only stealth runs. Like, could you make through make it through the entire level apart from the zombies mm. uh, and uh, kill every single person? And that was the best challenge. I love that kind of like setting you up for one thing and then you getting another. Because obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, another one that I obviously ended up buying was uh, Metal Gear Solid Two. Oh, but nice. just you got the full tanker chapter for that demo, which is mad when you can see that. Oh yeah, that man. is you're playing as the the only portion with Snake. That's the, the, you literally yeah. have the full experience. Like, <laughs> what? That's it, man. So when you actually get, I mean, I put like 10, 15 hours into that demo alone, just yeah. replaying the tanker. Because yeah, yeah. you can get the, the machine tanker. gun, the FM, the Famas or whatever. You yeah, can get yeah. it in the front. Finish game. So many like secrets it held, but obviously then you get the real game and then you finish the tanker chapter and then you're playing as Raiden and yeah. you're like, this is not what I've been playing yeah. for tens of hours already. This is not what I expected. That's switcheroo. Cool. Like that sent ructions through our year group in school at the time. Like who was okay with it, who was incredibly annoyed about it. At the time, and I guess just in general, I was totally fine with it, but I was just like, this is not what I bought whatsoever. Um, but yeah, one of the greatest switcheroos in gaming history, I guess. Yeah. Um, next question from PG Quips, who says UBP, UBP. UBP. How much do you think playstyle plays a part during the review process? For instance, I played Deathloop completely different to my friend. He played the entire game stealthy, but I went in guns blazing. He found it slow and fell off the game, whereas I had a literal blast. I, you know what? That is a perfect uh, thing to point out because a, a review usually only comes from one person and their experience varies dra- uh, drastically to pe- uh, depending on um, how you play the game. Mm. If a game is completely open-ended, then... Yeah, that is going to... Something I think it depends on the game. If it's like Skyrim or something that's super open-ended, it's like, Mm. well, you played a mage or you played an archer or whatever, but I would always try and identify the amount of paths there are available to me. And if I'm reviewing it, I'm in a very specific review mindset. Um, So that would be my thing. I would try and identify the amount of options available to me and then progress it. So I would hate to have reviewed Skyrim. That would have been a nightmare. Imagine trying to play... What was the the name of the Deus Ex game that... With, with the Square Enix published was that Human Revolution the first Human one? Revolution was 2011 and yes. Mankind Divided after so that so they when that game came out if you played that game as a stealth character oh, you had a broke, bad yeah. time you had a really bad time with that game and mm-hmm. so I can imagine that any reviewer that wanted to go through the sort of hacking and stealth thing 
probably was just like, this game sucks. It's really mm. bad. But anyone else who went in, action, guns blazing, a bit more use of the tech, probably had a much more fun time. So. It's a weird thing, just to just to quickly, like, before I hand it to you, JB, like, that whole thing of, like, in Deus Ex, I was mostly self and conversation-based and hacking and stuff, but I did have a few points in action. But even in those fighting those boss fights, I was like, this just feels broken. This yeah. feels wrong yeah. anyway. Um, but I think it's just that, that, yeah, I guess it's like a feeling or trying to see what other options are available to you before you, like specifically write it down as like, this is a broken mechanical, this feels wrong or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, the two examples that spring to mind for me that I think are interesting to pick apart is uh, Ghost of Tsushima. You know, when we mm, were playing yeah. through that game, Scott, you and I both loved it, but for different reasons. <laughs> we approached the game completely differently and the way that we um, progressed through that game was completely different and we kind of hit different beats at different times. Like I was focusing on the side missions, mm-hmm. you were focusing more on the main missions and yet we still came out loving the game and yet you know i was kind of throwing all of my love into the side mission part of it and i know you played some it's like i was gonna say i did loads of side stuff and like random npc stuff yes yeah. just in kind of like different orders i yeah. suppose and, and it, like i focused on that stuff whereas you got to it more towards the end if and i we had thought. a weird thing where we sort of dovetailed off in different directions you did like the signposted side missions with the specific side characters i did the random like uh, dynamic stuff where it was like someone's lost a dog or whatever it is yes and i did them and then like yeah that was mixed in by doing every now and then I would do a main mission yeah. so in between those two I missed the specific side things um, which affects which allies come to you in specific parts of the story um, and so yeah but some of that stuff didn't make sense but the game does account for that regardless oh totally like you still saw it it was just interesting that we both came away like having the same overall kind of critical view of the game but we were loving it for like different reasons mm. like I remember saying to you like Scott I love these side missions so much <laughs> and I think there was one guy that you couldn't remember the name of and I was like no. that's fascinating that we got like mm-hmm. we got to the same point just in radically different ways mm-hmm. i think the other genre that kind of springs to mind as well that definitely caters towards different play styles is uh, like a roguelike because yeah. obviously you that's mostly like procedurally generated so you mm. might not even get the same rooms so you how know? can you even yeah. like uh, analyze the game in that way because everyone's playthrough is going to be completely different and then yeah, it takes into account point. skill like we talk about hades a lot and you know how much of the story that you see in that game from dying versus if you just kind of like blitz through it and then you kind of miss the story mm. like you're missing a layer which is what i did yeah uh, so like i love that games are so I have so many permutations now that, you know, I love reviews because they offer a specific perspective on it. And I don't think we could get like completely objective reviews because of that, because everyone no. will experience yeah. even the most linear game in a slightly different way. Even The Last of Us Part Two, you can play all of that by just ghosting through enemies and not even killing mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. or you can fully engage in the combat. I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, the nearest thing to a more objective review is what Digital Foundry have started doing, where it's just, it's just a tech analysis. I, guess, I, know they, I know they do more than just a tech analysis, but they are so good at the tech stuff that they kind of get held up as like mm-hmm. analyzing the frame rates, the resolutions, the detail and everything else. Um, yeah, I think that it's just like, it's it's hard, it's sort of per genre and it depends like how much of a game it feels like you're seeing to then pass judgment on or yeah. whatever. Um, just because, yeah, like you said, like play styles can change, but I would... I would, it would be too personal if I played an RPG in a certain way and then I criticized it for having played it that way. It's like, does it does the game feel unfair? Does it feel like I have options open to me? Like um, something like Sekiro, it's just sort of like, well, is my method failing over and over again? Is this is this boss too hard or do I have more options that I'm not doing? I remember when I played uh, Doom Eternal, um, which I think I reviewed, that game was a play, but I remember um, playing Doom Eternal and struggling in some of the bosses and some of the enemies and then realizing that I wasn't using my um, the flamethrower thing as much yeah. as I should be, yeah, how yeah, fast yeah. that recharged yeah. and then that adding another like beats to the rhythm of that game and then being able to stay in the pocket of getting right up in the face of everything 
um, and then burning through levels way faster and being like, okay, this is the game. This is great. Um, and the, the way that it made me question that, like, you know, almost just instinctively or whatever, is actually one of its greatest strengths. Yes. So it's basically the game got good when it taught you how it wanted to be played. Yeah. yeah. I always think you're ever, anyone playing any game, I think it's sometimes it's good if you think that something is hard or whatever, just taking a step back and being like, am I using am all I the tools available it? to me? Yeah. 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 Like yeah. maybe there's something that you're missing or, or whatever. Mm. Um, next question from Chris Shaw, who says, hello from Australia. Just curious if any of you have ever tried Vegemite. Also, it was really hard to type this while riding my kangaroo. Amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> Standards. Amazing. Very good. Very 10 good. out of 10, no notes. So the funny thing is, is if you guys actually tried Vegemite. No. I don't even know what that is. People always think, oh, it's just Marmite. It's not. It's totally different. Okay. So it's uh, Vegemite is weaker than Marmite, which is why the Australians slather it all over their stuff. And when they come over here, they put a, a, the same amount onto like toast or whatever they're having. And they're like... Core blimey, this is a <laughs> bit much, friend. And right. it's like, well, yeah, because this is the extract, the purest of the pure. It's the, mm. it's the dark stuff. Let's get it on. Have now. you had a Vegemite sandwich? Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have not had a Vegemite sandwich, but I have had Vegemite and I could just be like... Yeah, it's fine. It's it is it's um, marmite light. I've heard about marmite. Vegemite sandwiches. Marmite. Yeah, marmite. on the radio. Uh, next question. Well, I'm guessing Josh, you've never heard of Vegemite. I haven't even tried marmite, so I don't really. Know. Oh. No, I've heard it's uh, like marmite. My so stupid I don't really want to try brain literally did that. Nah, I'm okay. a bit scared. My brain literally almost said that too. It's, it's almost like it's very it's very marmite <laughs> that, and I was like, no, brain, you're thinking too fast. Isn't that amazing how a um, company has managed to turn what is actually uh, a negative in the sense that people genuinely hate it mm. into a saying? 
saying about the product, meaning that it's created its own marketing brand in your head. Mm-hmm. That's it. Crazy. Rent free in your brain now. It's a very yeah. effective. Um, next question from Krell Type Shaw, who says, Hey guys, I've got two questions this time. Do you think the MCU has been a bad influence on movies and games, i.e., forcing connected universes, writing dialogue, etc.? Mm. And number two, Feudal Japan is having a resurgence as of late. What other settings slash eras do you think need to make a comeback? Um, MCU stuff, me and Josh talked about this the other day. Okay. I feel like when we play. Oh, you sorry, you you know, watch a movie, you do whatever. There's this kind of assumption of a post-credit scene. There's an assumption of a tie-in to something else. There's an assumption of sequelization or spin-offs or whatever. It's very rare that something feels like a one-off. Um, and I think on the business side, there's always that idea that it can become something bigger yep. and that they're planting seeds for something they might want to pull out later. Um, so yeah, I feel like the MCU very much taught various studios of what shared universes can be. And I feel like a lot of them chase that now. Yeah, I agree, you know, and I hate to say it because I still really like the MCU, but it reminds me of something like uh, the modern military boom in gaming. Mm. Like, it's it's like Call of Duty itself was a good franchise, making good yeah. games at the time, and it's not its fault that it got so popular. It's the fault of everyone else trying to copy it and diluting the market <laughs> and kind of ruining the market for many years in terms of creativity and the type of genres that you would expect yeah. in the same way that I don't think it's the MCU's fault for existing because yeah. they're still doing interesting yeah. things. They're still making quite decent products. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it's the impact that that's had on the box office and the culture that everyone's trying to mimic that. And again, it's homogenized the culture and yes. it's flattened it out. Mm-hmm. Um, much like in the same way that everyone jumped on the Battle Royale trend and yeah. killed it basically hmm. by everyone having it and it became a game if a game didn't have a battle royale mode you either thought it was weird and when it did you th- saw that it was chasing trends the thing with the MCU is I would argue that they are writing themselves into a corner more and more because every film is starting to feel like each other because it's yeah. like well we've got to have quips we've got to have like the funny moments because people are sick of the gritty action hero now <laughs> and now we've got to give them the comedy uh, action yeah. hero but the problem is is that when every film feels like the same Scott and I were talking about how uh, phase four came and went and I can't even tell you a single thing that happened into it because I was so burnt out on the one interesting story that they were building. I didn't realize phase four had started but then they said it was ending. Yeah, it was was ending. So now we're into this situation where because every other film was feeling like an MCU product and because the MCU itself is drilling down into this one specific manner of what an MCU film is, Mm. we are actually approaching a sort of uh, a, a meeting point of all films where People are just going to get sick of them. Yeah. Surely, it, like it's um, there's like a little uh, curve thing that's used in film. A bell uh, curve? It, it might be the bell curve, but it's like it goes into like a resurgence, pastiche, and something else. I think that's like, a bell curve. Yeah, and it's basically like it's super, super popular. Everyone mm-hmm. really likes it. Jumps in the bandwagon, and now we're completely oh done right, yeah, now. Yeah. we are bored of it. So yeah, it's like, like the different phases that various different genres have gone into over the years. Westerns very much did that. Yeah. It's like you enter the part of parody, and then it's like where do you go from there? Well, yeah. you need to take a rest, and they won't take a rest. Tell us a new story. Yeah, effectively. I'll tell you what makes that even more frustrating as well. The fact that it's kind of homogenizing the style and the tone and the presentation of all those movies is that the expected thing for new and interesting directors now is to uh, be promoted to a Marvel movie eventually and the Marvel machine the MCU machine has gobbled up so many interesting directors and they may still be producing good work but you can tell they feel constrained in my opinion you know the likes of Ryan Coogler you know Black Panther is really good but I want to see what else Ryan Coogler has to offer because you know Fruitvale Station I loved Creed I thought was incredible Mm. like he had a great trajectory and I'm sure he's enjoying himself and like you know I'm not saying he's trapped or anything but I want to see what original things he has to bring to the table Mm -hmm. Taika Waititi is also a good example because of the fact that his independent films are incredible stories very personal and 
elements of comedy within them that is uniquely his own. But as soon as he gets put in front of a big budget like the Marvel one, we mm. get Thor Love and Thunder, which uh, just, wow. It was basically <laughs> like he looked around and just said, right, okay, jokes. Let's just have yeah, every a- joke all the time. Let's not even worry about continuity. Let's just let's just have jokes, guys. I think as well, just to throw another thing in, is that like the MCU stuff makes me think of that everything has law, everything has a will to it. So if I'm going to play something, I'll almost look into the wider law. So I'm just like, where does this mm-hmm. game sit in the overall timeline? How many supplementary materials are with this? Does it have books with it or whatever else? Like, I mean, I was I was never jumping into a sequel for something anyway, unless like for whatever reason that's the recommended one. But overall, like, I feel like I don't know. I just feel this this assumption that everything has a wider feel to it. Yeah, and I end up like looking into a bunch of stuff that I clearly don't need to. Do you get annoyed when game companies come out much later and say actually these worlds were connected? Like they recently had that mm. one with Arcane Studios coming out and saying Dishonored was linked to another um, franchise. Yes, they it was uh, Death Loop, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's like. Okay, did it need to be? Did it actually need <laughs> to be uh, involved in that? I, that's the thing. I think having grown up, like all of us, like through the MCU stuff, I'm like, oh my God, these movies are connected. Oh my God, they're doing this. Um, now it's just this random thing you can just say. And it's not yeah. like, it doesn't do anything for me personally anymore saying these games are connected. I thought it was cool that uh, Remedy did their Remedyverse stuff, like where, where it was Alan was Wake fine. and Control. Yeah. And I was like, sure, why not? But it's, I'm just like a why not? It doesn't do anything. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it cooler or better. Yeah, you don't immediately go, well, I'm going to go buy Alan Wake now because no. it's connected to this. You just go, oh, cool, that is a game. Like, unless they specifically, you know, like uh, you're playing one character and then you don't realize that alongside that something else was happening or a mystery gets fleshed out in a different game or something. Things where they fundamentally connect to each other. I don't care about Shed Universe stuff. Mm. Yeah, anymore. it's not necessarily for me anymore because it makes me, it makes it feel like a chore. Like the MCU mm. now, I do think is in a bit of a decline and it's because there's so much content to get through. Mm-hmm. Like before there were three movies a year and that's already a lot. And now yeah. you've got three or four movies a year and you've got three or four TV shows to keep up with. Mm. And yeah, you don't need to watch everything, mm. but the sheer volume of it makes it feel more disposable, whether it is or it isn't. It's like if you got, it's like when you got an Assassin's Creed game every year, right? you know, like that needed to stop because it's not like the games were, you know, horrible. It's just that people got tired. People felt like they were disposable because mm-hmm. they were being treated as if they were disposable. The thing that killed them as well is that there was no, like you can argue there was an overarching story, like barely some of the present day stuff, but it wasn't anything close to the Ezio trilogy or whatever. Like it wasn't like, oh my God, I need to see what happens next. It was just, here's more stuff. Do you want some stuff? Yeah. And I feel yeah, yeah. like MCU's kind of there now. It's like, here's some more stuff. Do you want some bit, bit, bit more? Yeah. Like nothing that really sort of makes you go, I'm going to watch the next one for an answer or something. Um, in terms of settings, um, the other half of uh, Type Show's question was, um, yeah, whether we think that, you know, Feudal Japan's very much coming back at the minute, obviously, uh, I think very much inspired by Ghost of Tsushima. I f- forget which interview said that. Okay. Um, that because Ghost of Tsushima did so well in, um, you know, around the world, that it's showed that you can do old school Japan stuff, Feudal Japan stuff, um, in a more traditional way, and it will be embraced by uh, mm-hmm. the West. And obviously the Yakuza games made their way across over the last 10 years. Um, the franchise is older, but they very much came to the West across the 2010s. Um, yeah, other settings that we want to see make a comeback. It's a weird one, I'm going to say, but Cyberpunk's stuff. I feel like okay. there's a whole thing with the cyberpunk genre where it feels like cyberpunk 2077 should have sort of kicked off this whole run of cyberpunk stuff. And you get things like Ghost Runner, you know, you get things like Neo Cab or whatever. There are like a handful of additional games, but no one, it doesn't feel like a staple of gaming. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like overall we get like a, it's like cyberpunk is like one of the only ones with that kind of budget. And I feel like there's a whole wing of cyberpunk source material or stories to be told or explorations of transhuman, transhumanism or whatever that you could just do way more with and I would yeah. I want Cyberpunk to be more than just the Cyberpunk game. It's like when Deus Ex, obviously Square Enix brought mm. out uh, those two games. It was a case of okay, is this going to kickstart more people talking about this? But it didn't. No, it was um, maybe because those games itself were 
in Square Enix's own words, disappointments when it came to Plus, sales. Like, Deus Ex was like had I guess cyberpunk elements, but there wasn't that much of sort of Jensen questioning him himself. They try to do bits of that in Mankind yeah, Divided. They was tried very to forced in Yeah, they tried to do all the like the apartheid metaphors and it was, it was like, like what are like, you guys doing? It's like, am I really human if I <laughs> replace all my body parts and machines? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Go, <laughs> yeah what go. an interesting question. Yeah. It's yes. like, it's like, it hasn't been asked a million times before. Ship of Theseus. I feel like there's a yeah, there's ways to do it. I just I think cyberpunk should be more than a game. Right now when people say cyberpunk Punk, they think of one game yeah. and it should be a whole or in theory it should be a whole genre I mm. want to see more games that use the setting of like uh, Big Brother like 1984 uh, I want oh, to cool. I want to have that sort of um, the rise of the worker uh, sort of thing I do you know what I had a daydream the other day you've seen the film High Rise haven't you yes I have you've mm-hmm. seen that yeah. like, like if that was a game like, yeah. Seriously, like you start on the <laughs> start on the ground floor, much like the raid, like working your way to the top, and mm. you're battling rich people to like work your way up the level. <laughs> I'd love that. I guess why. Oh, sorry, just super quick. That's why everyone latched onto We Happy Few, but it, yeah. I know it didn't yeah. land anything. That's a real shame. Though, I was gonna mm. say I always think the same thing with Snowpiercer because that's kind of a similar yeah, yeah, gimmick yeah. where you've got this big train and you're literally moving through the classes as you go from carriage yeah. to carriage. Yeah, yeah. You start in the slums and you end up in like the most opulent carriages yeah, ever, yeah, yeah. where like the the one percent literally live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that a lot because my is actually quite similar to that. It's just a few years in the future, after playing Scorn, and it, re- it reminding me of PS1 90s horror, like uh, yeah. Abe's Odyssey, for instance. Like just, just creepy stuff. Just industrial creepy horror. 90s specifically Give me the creep. industrial <laughs> horror. You know, it's it's brown, it's it's dark, and it's like full of metallic body parts. It's you know, dripping. It's, it's dripping, it's <laughs> gross, it's gnarly. Yeah. That kind of thing that I, I, I'm missing. I want more Abe's Odyssey. I want more uh, Bruce Willis's Apocalypse from the PlayStation <laughs> 1. You know, that kind of yeah. awful dystopian future that's very specific to the late 90s and early 2000s. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, the, the 90s, like you said, on PlayStation had a very specific... like. Abe's Odyssey should have inspired way more stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I think that it's almost destined to be this sort of cool classic, even though it's big enough that we think of it as this big, popular, huge thing. Um, but yeah, going, th- going through Scorn was such a reminder of old-school PS1 horror um, and exploring, like, a 3D space. I always, like, I miss games that make the most of 3D spaces and verticality. I know that you can climb in Scorn, but that idea of, like, this massive place that you're going to just explore mm-hmm. as you go forward. It feels like Tomb Raider did that so well, and then even that kind of got away from it over the years. Um, next question from Jack Jingle, best name ever, who says, what's the best game you received as a gift for Christmas slash birthday etc. Christmas when I got Pokemon and a Game Boy Color takes some beating. Now my oh, my one for these is always the PlayStation Two. Uh, yeah. It was just getting yeah. a PS Two. I used to get one at launch, um, and I just lived in my bedroom. But that um, Christmas or the Christmas after it, I think it was Christmas after it, I got Devil May Cry One and Jack and Daxter. Um, and I remember coming down, getting given these games, hugging my grandparents, and going back upstairs again. Yeah, and that was it. And, and then I, I re- saw you. Again. I think I returned for the food, and then <laughs> I went back upstairs again. It was uh, it was a nice time. I mean, it's uh, I, I've told the story before where I bought myself the uh, Jack and Daxter because I knew I was getting a P- uh-huh. PS2, so it was like a gift from me to me. Oh, nice. But then I was like, I think, think there's other ones. You know what? The most recent birthday that I had, my uh, sister got me uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe for the Switch, and I've got Woo-hoo! that. I've got Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U, but the Deluxe version with all of the DLC now, I'm just like, genuinely... That's the best cast racing game, <laughs> and um, it's got all of these brand new courses. So mm. thank you very much. Yeah, Brilliant. that's a good. That's a great yeah. gift. You'll never stop playing that. Exactly. Now. I've not so even remotely got tired. Like I, I mean, I love Mario Kart, but like yeah, like Mario Kart Eight, that deluxe. There's a reason they just double down on the DLC. Like yeah. it's 
perfect. Yeah. Like, and uh, I gave my copy to Michael Hamlet. Oh my he was god, in, he was in need. His <laughs> copy broken, and I thought, you know what? I only play this twice a year when I go yeah. home. Mm. You can have it. Oh, so good. For me, uh, it's uh, it's Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare because Ooh. I was obsessed with this game before it came out. I was playing it around friends' house houses. I'd com- already completed the campaign. I'd already put like hours and hours and hours into the multiplayer and yet it didn't stop me from wanting to own it myself. Mm. So I got it for Christmas one year. I woke up extra early and I'd also asked for a game and share that year as well. <laughs> so I went downstairs, opened up Call of Duty 4, unwrapped my game and share, which would have been piss hard to wrap, by the way. Those <laughs> yeah, things massive. are like, they've got a strange Isn't curve those, on like, them. Weird sort of like banana-shaped one. Yeah, the banana-shaped yeah. oh, nice. one. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't have wheels. It was just on the floor. You <laughs> yeah. sit on the floor and you, you rock oh, back you and mean, forth. Like, like a pod, like you've yeah, been born yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not like the modern game and no. chairs at like 300 pounds. This thing was like a banana. Just oh, a giant cradle. It. Yep, no. it, it had speakers. Oh, it had speakers in the left and right <laughs> of it, right Whoa. near your legs. So I plugged it in. Put Call of Duty 4 on and like played half the campaign before my parents even woke up. It's like my my ears can hear the bullets. <laughs> I love it. I remember playing that that Christmas uh, in front of my grandparents and just and my dad going, "Can you put something else on?" <laughs> so it was like gun down half the populace uh, watching playing that thing. I think I've uh, told this story before, but I remember getting Fallout 3 for one Christmas nice. and my granddad came over while I was playing it. Nice. And I remember we were just sort of like sat in silence because you know everyone's full from dinner or whatever. And uh, I went into vats while a dog was attacking me. <laughs> Oh god! I, I had a sawn off shotgun <laughs> and blasted this dog's face into like smithereens. Oh. <laughs> and an eye flying around like, and I, like oh, I'll always remember my granddad's chuckle of <laughs> when that shot went off. I had no idea what to expect. Grandma cried in the corner trying to get on with the rest of her uh, bread and butter pudding. <laughs> Ruined the pudding, yeah, completely. <laughs> um, next question, a bit more serious one from Willie Araya, who says, "What are your final thoughts on the Bayonetta three controversy? I'm sad of what happened to Helena Taylor and voice actors in general. I'm also sad." about what's happened to Jennifer Hale and I'm more sad about what this has done to the game's community. Hopefully the game can at least fully deliver. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with all this stuff. So what I know is that she was offered $4,000 to do the entire game uh, voice of Bayonetta for Bayonetta 3. Mm-hmm. She turned it down obviously because that is an excessive amount of work There's an update since then. $4,000. Yeah. Uh, $4, mm-hmm. uh, then instead of actually meeting her halfway they got a new voice actress in uh, a v- veteran of the industry mm-hmm. to go and do it and a lot of hate was sent to Jennifer Hale. Hale. Yeah, yeah. To Jennifer Hale. Uh, jo- have you kept up with everything so far? Yeah, I just got the update this morning from Bloomberg that yeah. said apparently she was offered uh, four thousand pound a session, and it would have been like fifteen thousand pound overall minimum, minimum, which still sucks. Like yep. that's a yeah. clarification that's worth mentioning, but fifteen thousand uh, pounds dollars for that kind of character is still a pittance, in my opinion. Yeah, when yeah. you're insulting the amount of uh, units they sell and how much the game retails. Apparently, that would have been the um, yeah the minimum. Apparently, it was four grand per session, and they, it was like a minimum amount of sessions. But yeah, it was like the estimate was about fifteen grand. Yeah, that's been mentioned by uh, Bloomberg Station Shire corroborated by VGC. Um, Helena Taylor's denied that and just said it was a lie. But whatever. I think overall, um, there's just that whole kind of question of where does the value come for the character? Is it in the voice actor? Is it in the coding department? The art department? Whatever. I firmly believe that it's the voice actor just yeah. as much as anyone else. Would you would um, you play uh, and enjoy um, God of War Ragnarok if uh, you didn't have the voice actor for um, for Kratos? I would still play and enjoy. It. I think that's weird. the thing. Though. I think it's weird. interesting. Yeah, I think that like, but I think overall there is this uh, devalue around uh, voice actors and in in anime and animation in uh, in video games compared to quote unquote, real actors mm. bringing in Chris Pratt to be Mario instead of Charles Martinet, whatever. 
Um, and I, I do want voice actors in animation, in video games, and whatever to get their due, to get their yeah. day in the sun. Like yeah, it man. feels like they're so overlooked. It's like I'm, you know, I love me some Kojima, but I'm still mm. not happy with the guy for replacing uh, David Hayter with yeah. Kiefer. Not Sutherland. even telling him. Not even telling him. Yeah. in Metal Gear Solid Five. Like that guy has made an iconic character through his vocal performance mm-hmm. for decades. At that point, and then yeah, like you said, he was discarded and wasn't even told about initially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that sucks, man. Because I do agree. What you said there, you know, there is a preference for so-called proper actors when, you know, you get those proper actors in, again, mm-hmm. using air quotes there, and so often they, they, they crap the bed with it. Like, you look at, I love Peter Fallout Dinklage. New Vegas, I love yeah. Destiny, uh, well, that's a bit generous, uh, but Peter Dinklage came in, a great actor, crap the bed, yep. Matthew Perry came in for Fallout New Vegas, was fell a asleep. fan of the, of the franchise, fell asleep, fell asleep, uh, was, was not very good, you know, mm-hmm. so many times we've seen great voice actors, great voice artists discarded for celebrities and it sucks. And in this case, you know, it's even worse because they've been replaced with another gaming voice actor. Uh, and then they've received, Jennifer Hills received like a lot of hate for that. And it's yeah. unjust because it's not her fault. It's the people in charge of casting. It's the developers. It's the people who are actually, you know, calling the shots at these mm-hmm. studios. Yeah, my thoughts overall are that, I mean, obviously it's still unfolding. Like there was the update from Bloomberg and VGC. Um, it just feels like there's, because there was the whole thing, Jennifer Hills said that she can't say anything. She was like, I'm just, I'm under NDA. I can't talk about it properly. I just hope that overall the thing that comes out of it is better conversations uh, or better um uh, value put on on the voice actors themselves. Like I love animation, love video games, love voice acting as a talent. Um, John DiMaggio's documentary on it is incredibly illuminating and just really fun. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's called Whose Voice Is That? Um, and it's just him just going to like all your childhood favorite yeah. voice actors and talking to them um, and just seeing how many people they've brought to life. Like yeah. that, it's such a valuable. Um, part of entertainment and it's so overlooked. John DiMaggio is a great example because mm. obviously when they came to redoing uh, Futurama for, for Hulu um, he was like I'm not coming back because you're not meeting um, my monetary demands mm. but loads of people were immediately like oh you're greedy you must be greedy if you're not getting back. It's like not the case at all mm. he was fighting for a fair wage and representation for voice actors which is sorely needed. He took a stand because he had the leverage to do so mm. and we need more people like that in the voice acting community to actually just say, no, I'm not going to do this until my uh, I set a precedent that other people can quote mm. and then also leverage it because it's like unionizing, but without that word or yeah. that tone, just make sure that they the company respects those voice actors. There's been tons of voice actors voicing their support as well for the, just in terms of getting more value, getting more respect, getting more um, exposure to the realities of different pricing amounts and everything um, because of this whole situation. So hopefully there's a net positive eventually. Um, there was that whole sag after thing a couple of years ago about renegotiating yeah. uh, general terms and everything because sometimes voice actors, voice actors will be asked to do, you know, various shouts and screams and yeah. whatever yeah. right alongside a much softer scene. And yeah. then say, okay, now we're doing the next scene. Go straight in. To it, there's no time to have a drink of water or take a minute or whatever it is, um, and just you know, just get through the scenes, just get it done. And yeah. it's it's not an easy job. It's yeah. not, and you know, like it's not even like necessarily a, a flattering or a pleasant job in a lot of ways. Like I don't claim to know any inside information about how voice acting is done right mm. now, but you know, historically, we've had stories of you know Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy doing the first Arkham game, yes. and them and the directors not even having the two in the same room, and no. apparently they found. 
that really kind of like dejecting because it affected their performance because mm-hmm. they're doing it to a casting director who can still elicit good performances, but they were wanting that back and forth. They yeah. were wanting to be able to play a scene against the act- actual actors mm-hmm. and engage their performance yep. and react properly. And it's Definitely. like sometimes these guys are just in a booth doing the line straight through and some people might love that, but it's kind of, you know, it's minimizing the creativity of it, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah I just I just love the, like I said, I love the craft of it. I love the ability to contort your vocal cords and bring something to life and be a completely different being or whatever. Um, and yeah, I just feel like it doesn't get its due. I feel like it's it's so constantly overlooked under the, the guise of, well, we'll get a movie person in, they'll be better. They're not. Yeah, I'll tell you what's <laughs> as well, man. Are. Like, obviously, it's not directly connected, but it is. Like, all of this happening at the same time as we're getting a push towards AI-generated um, dialogue in games. Darth Vader is now entirely AI. Darth yeah. Vader, the Watchdogs Legion protagonist, of course. You know, being hmm. entirely AI-generated. Of course, they still got actors in to perform those lines, but the lines in the way they were constructed in the game was yeah. done through an algorithm. Yeah. It's like that's a dangerous precedent to set. Yeah. To, to, to set because you can tell right now and maybe the um, stuff will become more sophisticated the tech will become more sophisticated but mm. you don't want to be able to minimize a human job in that way because that's where the emotion yeah. comes from mm-hmm. there's the famous case of uh, Jet Li turned down working on The Matrix because of the fact that he said you're going to motion cap all of my fights and choreography and they will be stored in a database and you will be able to use that to uh, recreate any movie in the future uh, using that library of hmm. work. That is me mm-hmm. and what I've trained for and you are basically commodifying it and turning it into something that can be hired by anyone to put into their film. That's like and that wider... It's like asset flipping almost. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah that's like software, that. software, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's like that whole wider uh, hologram gig thing. It's like, well, we get like yeah. any sort of record company would love to put on 10 gigs at once around the world at the same time and do another 10 the night after, another 10 whatever the night it's after. It's weird because you've got to think about the amount of uh, voiceover lists that we've done mm. um, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> that you could actually make a brand brand new list just cut together from entries oh, God. from us. <laughs> so that means that it's like almost deep faking us. We might, we, I might be dead right now. And like people are just using clips from the previous. We're going to have to cut this out. Don't give our bosses <laughs> no, any no. ideas. Season three of the capture is that uh, making list content. And we'll end on a nice lovely question from Gaming with Greg who says, hey gents, question coming from Budapest. Where is your favorite city to travel to? Mine is Prague in the Czech Republic. Oh, oh wow. Great question. Prague is a big show. Yeah, Prague is lovely. I've been mm. there for a uh, Stag do, and mm-hmm. it was just a, well. The uh, the groom got hit by a train. Uh, oh, no, 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 he's still he's, okay. He's, he's fine. Good. But what happened was, is he looked the wrong way uh, on the tram line, stepped on, and it hit him. <laughs> Luckily, it was slowing <laughs> down at the time, and it bumped him off the way. But the one thing that broke his fall was a bag, a carrier bag full of booze and glass. <laughs> so he landed on glass bottles to break <laughs> no. his fall. And he's he's like, like, it's a sign. And the thing is, he stood back up again, and he was just like looking around, like a bit stunned. And he was like, uh, "Oh, all my body parts completely intact." And I just fell onto this. His coat was shredded by the glass, <laughs> but he was completely intact. I was like, "You are so lucky! Yeah. You are so lucky!" Jules, any, oh, Jules, uh, Josh, any picks? Um, it's it's boring because it's going to be in the UK. But I, I love Glasgow, man. I've been there about ten times this year. I can't stop. I your bands keep going there. I'm going there this weekend again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm uh, well versed in that city, but I love it. I, I love going there. The people are so nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many underrated spots there. Obviously, not if you live there, because you know I'm a I'm a idiot Englishman going <laughs> yeah. to Scotland, be like, look at these underrated spots. Uh, Andy Murray will be having a nightmare. But yeah, I, I love Glasgow. I think it's incredible. Uh, it's yeah. got a great uh, music scene, mm. uh, and like the the food places are amazing. And I love how. Um, like, n- not small and compact it is, but I don't like a big, sprawling city. Like, I like Manchester a lot, but it's oh, okay. almost too big. Mm-hmm. I quite like London, but it's too big for me. 
I like Newcastle is a good shout. Newcastle yeah. is yeah. it's why I live in Newcastle because <laughs> everything is nice and compact and you can walk everywhere. So yeah. Glasgow for me. Big fan. I uh, I'm gonna go with New York City. I oh, just like big just, boy. I just exact opposite, basically, isn't it? Just uh, just couldn't get enough of it. I I've always wanted to go to America for so long. Me and my wife went there for our uh, honeymoon, and it was just incredible. I just it was everything I always wanted it to be. I loved all the skyscrapers, the sheer size of that city, just being a speck in that city was incredible. And I was actually you mentioned like a place that where you can get around quite easily. New York City, like you could easily get, we easily got from Statue of Liberty all the way back up to like in the north again. To know the name of the area was <laughs> the north of New York City. Very, <laughs> very easily. So, so, hello, mate. Like, can I, I go to north? To, to north of New York. Then I went hello, to mate. west and to east. In yeah. A, yeah, I just, I, you could get around that city so well. So many incredible spots. Shout out to Sticky's Fried Chicken. Absolutely Ooh. the best chicken in the world or the world as, as far as I've experienced it. Can't be better than Greg's. I, it's it's very close. <laughs> it's very close. Shout out to Greg's new sticky, uh, their fried chicken and also their wedges. Very, very good. Um, but yeah, New York City, massive fan. Also went to New Orleans. Um, but yeah, I uh, I would just shout out New York City. It was like being in a being in a dream. I'll tell you what, Lovely. me and you have been to uh, Amsterdam not together this year. Sadly not. In a, if I'd been there more, that might be my shout because I love Amsterdam that. Amsterdam is amazing. I'd go there every weekend if I could. If uh, I could yeah. afford it. I was going to say, Amsterdam's whole, like, this, it was such a healthy place. I felt massive. I felt like I was, like, ridiculously yeah, a massive, massive man because everybody there was so in shape. Everyone's on bicycles. <laughs> everyone's either in little boats and stuff. But I just love that you could just sort of, I just went on my phone. I was like, can I rent a boat? And they're just like, yes, here, here, take this boat. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're just on the sea. You're on, yeah. the, on, the, on the river. Speaking of um, not looking the right way when transport is coming yeah. at you, though, it took a long time to actually adjust to Amsterdam's, like, cycle mm, culture. Yeah. Because those guys don't stop. They no. will just, if you're in their way... You're getting cut down, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean? And that's not what it's like in the UK, which has eliminated all cycling. No, yeah. there was a weird vibe of like, it's like a different sense they must have because we wanted to rent bikes, but I was like, I'm not, I feel like I'm gonna get taken out. Like yeah. if I get to one of the corners, but I guess you live there long enough, you just get get it down. But uh, yeah, shout out to cities all yeah. around the world, all yeah. good, good times. Um, but yes, for now, there's been the Untitled Panda podcast, the UB3, the UB3, the UB3. A massive thank you to Jules Gill and Josh Brown Yo. for joining me. And a massive thank you to all of you for sending in all your questions. Next week, it'll be back to normal, I think. Think. It will be. We'll see whatever happens. Maybe we need to don armor and do more stuff. Maybe. Another tease for what's coming. Um, keep an eye on Twitter. Um, I'm at slash LP89. Jules, you are. I'm at RetroJ, but the O is a zero. And Josh is. I'm at Josh Brown, but there's two O's, so it sounds like Brune. Brune ale and lovely, beautiful stuff. We'll catch you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank Goodbye. you for having me, fellas. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, yeah, buy the mugs. Buy the mugs. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.